All right, guys, back with Adam Hayes, part two of our three-part series. They're, they're going to be a little bit shorter uh, parts in our normal hour, but uh, getting into some really detailed stuff about specific things. And this one is going to be all about the moon. You hear a lot of guys say they're, they, they think the moon has a lot to do with whitetail movement, and you hear other guys say it has nothing to do with it. A uh, little backstory. Uh, Adam and I, uh, purchased the moon guide from Jeff Murray or Jeff Murray's, uh, wife. How long ago was that Adam? 10 years ago. Yeah. At least 10 years ago, kind of resurrected that thing. And he and I both followed the moon guide, uh, long before we purchased it and resurrected it. And then Adam has it all to himself now and has done an incredible job with it. Actually helping people kill deer <laughs> trying to man yeah yes it, it, it actually helping people kill deer so adam tell us a little bit about the moon guide and you know i know you get these questions all the time but um what the red moon is and how the moon guide works and how just give us a little history you've, you've done this spiel a million times but i want guys to hear it and then and then I'm gonna I'm gonna be kind of the devil's advocate here and and get into some of the some of the naysayers and and those type things and and you can kind of explain uh, how how that's wrong and and that sort of stuff. So fire away. Yeah. So I guess the first thing really to say is that the moon guide is not based on the phase of the moon. And, and lost track of how many times I hear guys talk about the phase and they think it's all about the phase of the moon. It's really got nothing to do with that. The moon guide is based on the gravitational pull of the moon, you know, and in the moon's rotation around the earth every day, there's actually two times every day where the moon is closer to the earth than any other time. And that's your overhead and underfoot moon when it's either straight up or straight down. And as it rotates around the earth at those two times that it's the closest, your overhead and underfoot moon, that's when you have the most gravitational pull on the earth from the moon. It's what triggers the tides to come in and out. I mean, it's that strong that it moves the largest mass on our planet, the tide, the oceans. The key to the moon guide is, you know, there's only a handful of days every month when those peak times that peak gravitational pull lines up with prime time for deer movement in the morning and the evening so that's going to be your red moon days your best days to catch deer moving during daylight especially mature deer moving just a little bit earlier than they normally would because if you think about it a mature buck most of the time is going to lay there in his bed until it gets dark and then move during season because they've learned you know after four or five, six seasons, that's the safest thing to do. But when you've got that gravitational pull of the moon, it's an instinctive deal that's just giving them that little extra nudge to get up and move right at that time when they normally want to anyway. It's normally like the icing on the cake to get a big buck up and moving, you know, when any other time he's probably you're just going to lay there a few extra minutes until it gets dark and when it's safe. So that's really the, you know, the moon guide in a nutshell, um, based on the, you know, the position of the moon in the sky. It's not about the phase of the moon. It's about that position of the sky, 
that has the the um, strongest gravitational pull, and then lining that up during prime time when deer want to move anyway. So the red moon are the days when the overhead moon is at prime time. Overhead or underfoot. Overhead or underfoot. Yeah. At, on the moon guide or when people hear you talk about, hey, there's a red moon day coming, that means – Eight o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the afternoon, there is an overhead or underfoot moon during that time. Yeah. And you're going to get a window, you know, of about four or five days where it's going to be, you know, within, you know, a couple hours either side of sunrise or sunset. So it's not just one specific day. And, you know, at the very end of it, you know, you've got a moon that peaks just after, you know, dark and guys are guys sometimes have asked, you know, why does the moon guide say the best time is, you know, 45 minutes after dark? Well, that's not necessarily the best time, but it kind of falls in that window, you know, that it's still affecting those animals to move before it gets dark. Right. It's happening close to that time. They're feeling that gravitational pull. Yeah. 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 Um, Because, you know, you hear, you hear a lot of people, I was driving down the road, you know, I drive by this field every day and all of a sudden there's 18 deer out of it in the afternoon. And what, I mean, what the heck It's the same stuff planted there. They're completely relaxed. What the heck is going on? Why, why are they there that day? And not, you know, why weren't they there five days earlier than that? Yeah. Yeah. And you can see it with, um, you know, farm animals too, you know, those, those two peak activity times during that overhead or underfoot moon, they're an hour later each day. So you'll get a handful of days where they're, close to sunrise or sunset, you'll have a handful of days where it's peaking in the middle of the day, you know, and that's typically when, you know, somebody's driving down the road, there's deer out everywhere. It's the middle of the day. What's going on? Well, normally if you got access to that information and you can look at it, it's because that moon is peaking in the middle of the day. Yeah. No, I, that, that, that's for sure. But, you know, you hear a lot of guys say, Oh, I don't believe in the moon guide. Um, you know, I, I'm going to hunt only when it's cold or colder than the average temperature, Uh, you know, weather obviously plays a huge part in it. And and then they'll cite, well, you know, all these QDMA studies or Mississippi State University studies show that the moon has zero impact on deer. Um, You know, anybody that can has got a computer and can go to Google, Google moon and research and all those reports and studies are going to come up. What what do you say to that? Well, the first thing I'd say is, you know, I'm not here to say that nothing's as important as the moon. You know, I've said it numerous times. I think there's three main factors to deer movement, three main factors that influence or increase, you know, deer activity. And that's the wind, the weather and the moon and not necessarily in that order. You know, you're going to you're going to be hard pressed to find any hunter that's going to argue the fact about the weather influencing activity. I mean, everybody believes the weather influences activity, including myself. There's weather patterns that are going to increase activity. There's weather patterns that are going to decrease activity, but the weather's not hundred percent. I can't tell you how many days in the last 43 seasons where I've been out and the weather was perfect and didn't see a deer. I mean, you can't count on the weather hundred percent. You can't count on the moon hundred percent. I really believe it's all about lining up, you know, 
the wind that's great for the animal that you're hunting going in on the red moon when the when the you know the moon is in your favor as well and if you can get a good weather pattern on top of that it's just the icing on the cake you know i think that's the perfect storm for whitetail hunting but i've seen you know a few a few of the more than one of the big deer that i've killed i killed them with a the good wind and good moon and the weather was you know really hot you know oh, the last 200 moon. you killed in kansas I mean, it, it was hot. It was almost 80. 80, 80 degrees out. I mean, there was no reason for that deer to be up moving two hours before dark. And so. that was in October, right? No, that was the first week of November. Oh, it was the first week. I thought it was yeah, the end of October. First week of November was, but just like it seemed like always in Kansas, it was just extremely hot, you know, when it shouldn't have been. But yeah, it, it's all about lining up multiple factors that are going to increase activity. But, um, like I said, the moon's not 100%, the weather's not 100%, but something that guys need to think about, you know, not everybody gets to hunt as much as I do or you do, you know, and they might only have one week to hunt or, you know, a couple weeks vacation. And, you know, the moon is really the only thing that you can predict months or even years in advance, you know. So if you're going to spend one week, your only week of vacation or a, you know, a guided hunt or what, you know, going out of state to hunt somewhere. Why wouldn't you look at that and can consider that? I mean, it's all about stacking the deck in your favor. So you want to really do everything you can to increase your chances. And, you know, the moon's just a part of mother nature, just like the weather is, you know, but you can't, you can't predict what the weather's going to be doing the third week of November, you know, for this fall, but you know what the moon's going to be doing. Right. So it, it really helps when it comes to planning, but I understand what you're saying about uh, the moon. There's a lot of guys out there that think it's nonsense. Um, there's a lot of guys that have looked at it and learned about how it affects deer and, and have seen the proof in the pudding that it works. Um, you know, when it comes to these studies, I've read all the studies Um I just honestly don't think there's a there's one single study out there, at least that I've read, that really looks at what matters to me. You know, and the three things that matter to me are: is this study done with all the deer in a herd? Is it done with all the bucks in a herd? Because we're not talking about all those deer. We're talking about the top one, two, maybe three percent, the most mature animal in a herd. And everybody knows that that animal is different than the rest of the animals in the herd. Yep. So until somebody does a study on just mature bucks, you know, they're not going to get my attention because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about trying to kill that top 2%, you know, the oldest animal in that herd. And it's just not the, the same animal as the rest of the deer. So these studies that are done for, you know, on an entire group of deer, you know, you know, does immature bucks, fawns, mature bucks, you know, it's just, you're just not comparing apples to apples. The second thing that I would say about that is this study, you know, until you can get a study that's actually focused on that specific time of the year when we're trying to kill them, say late September through October, maybe even November, because a big mature buck is not going to be acting the same in the third week of October that he does in the middle of summer. 
Yeah. You know, he's a different deer than the rest of the herd, and he does not act the same way the entire year. You got a really small window when I want to know, you know, what these deer are doing and when they're moving. So you're talking about a very small percentage of the herd. You're talking about a very small window, not, you know, something that's observed throughout the whole year. And then, you know, we're not talking about this huge migration, you know, movement pattern. You know, we're talking about a specific buck getting up just a few minutes early and, you know, in October, he's moving maybe less than 100 yards from his bed sure. to feeding. So it's not a great big pattern that I'm with. I'm going to think you're going to see this great big movement arc in a, in a study. You know, we're, we're just we're, we're really breaking it down to, you know, a very small part of the herd. We're talking about a very small movement. We're talking about, you know, a few minutes early compared to, you know, coming out after shooting light. And I just, I've not seen a study that's that specific, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of them that I have seen, um, and, and I'm sure somebody's going to point this out to our attention has, has been moon fades, right? Yeah. That's another it, it's, thing. It's all, you know, the, all about moon phases, you know? Yeah. It, it's phase, you know, Oh, y'all say the red moon, the moon has nothing to do with it. This moon phase chart, you know, the study shows that when it's a quarter full moon, it has no difference on the deer movement, whatever it may be. You know, we've talked about it a million times. It's not the phase, it's it's the position. So yeah. a lot of the studies I have seen um, are, are going to say are, are all about the phase. You know, I've, I've conducted my own study, you know, for the last – 25 years with this stuff, you know, and I'll compare my wall and my den to anybody else's, you know, when it comes to killing mature deer. And you now I'm not trying to brag, but I mean, if you want, let's say you want to catch your first 50 inch muskie. Okay. Are you going to go by a study that you read in a book somewhere about, you know, the movements of muskie, or are you going to go talk to five or six guys that have been catching 50 inch muskies for 20 years? 100 percent, and and let me reiterate before you and i got the moon guide we were hunting with the moon guide yeah this is yeah. not some sales pitch you know after the fact i mean if if people go back and look at the old whitetails addictions you and andre y'all had the moon guide y'all talked about the moon guide you can find those things online and that was long before you and I bought the moon guide and, and, and Andre was not sponsored. Whitetail addictions was not sponsored by the moon guide. Yeah. The, the only reason we bought it, the only reason it came available because Jeff Murray, you know, who came out with it in the late nineties, which I've been following it since the late nineties had leukemia. You know, he, he, um, he wasn't able to, you know, keep the, keep up with the work with the moon guide for the last five, six, seven years of his life. He was really sick, you know, and, and Jeff's last hunt was here in Ohio with me and he died the following February. And that was the reason we were able to purchase this because we talked, I talked to Jeff, um, his family called me when Jeff couldn't even talk anymore and said, you know, he wanted me to have the first opportunity because I'd gotten to know Jeff, Jeff, you know, taught me everything he knew about the moon. I read his books back then, you know, I was talking to him on the phone almost nightly, you know, the year I killed my first 200, because I was, I was skeptical about it, but he kept preaching it to me and talking about the red moon. And, 
you know, lining everything up and staying out there and stacking the deck in your favor, went in and killed my first 200 inch deer. And I mean, you know, it's been, you know, it's been a staple of, in what I've done for over 20 years now. And that's the reason that we even thought about it, you know, it's because I knew Jeff knew the work was, had seen it work and it was going away, you know, and we've just been able, fortunately to purchase that from his family, keep it going. And really at the end of the day, it's just been about keeping that around so that it could help other guys enjoy the same amount of success that we've had with big deer. And that's really what it's all about. Just helping fellow hunters be more successful. If we've learned anything since we bought it, it's that there's an educational process and a learning curve to the, to this whole moon thing. And that I think everybody out there thinks, yeah, the moon might have something to do with deer activity, but until they really understand, you know, how the moon works, how this gravitational pull works, why the moon guy works the way it does and, and how it all ties together. You know, it, it, it just, it, it's a little bit of, there's a little bit of an educational process to it. It's, it's funny. I'm all, I'm throwing a story out there. If you remember, I don't know if you were in the meeting or maybe on the phone or it was just me and Jeff, but my partner in ICO right now, he, he helped us with the first year of marketing the moon guide when we bought it, or, or I guess really the second year, the first year we weren't going to do anything, but the second year. And I went in and explained everything to him. And he said, this is an educational product. You've got to educate people. You know, if you're going to play baseball, everybody knows that you've got to have a baseball glove. You, mm -hmm. You've got to, so Mizuno, Rawlings, Under Armour, I don't even know if Under Armour makes baseball, but Mizuno and Rawlings, you've got to convince them that that's the best baseball glove for you to buy. They need to buy a Rawlings. So that, that's how you would market that is you, you've got to convince people because everybody already knows you got to have a glove. With the Moon Guide, not everybody needs that to whitetail hunt. So you've got to educate people as to why the moon can help them. Um, mm -hmm. so, so that it was just a different, a different process and, you know, something that, that is outside. If you're going to bow hunt, you've got to have a bow. Matthews has got to convince people that Matthews or we should say Hoyt, shouldn't we? Since we're team 200 here, <laughs> Hoyt, Hoyt has got to convince people they got to buy Hoyt. So and the moon guide you've got is it's an educational process and there's really um you know you're, you you see a lot of these other like uh peak movement times and peak uh activity times and it's it's based on a whole bunch of other things but you know the, the moon guide is is one in itself mm -hmm. you know it's 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 own thing that's been around for a long long time with a ton of big deer uh to to back up what it says and it's, it's not just hunting. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about a force that you can't see that's strong enough to move the oceans, you know? Yeah. Um, fishermen have followed the moon for probably longer than, you know, guys in the hunting industry have, you know, you talk to any musky fisherman that's worth his salt, they follow the moon. I forget who it was recently told me that over half of the records in the IGFA, which is kind of like Boone and Crockett for the fishing industry, you know, record keeping over half of the trophies in the IFGA or IGFA um, were related to some kind of lunar um, occurrence. 
you know? So, I mean, and muskie, muskie's a freshwater fish. Yeah. So, so that has nothing to do with tides. You know, you, no. you could argue, okay, you know, the biggest redfish are killed, you know, when the tide's coming in because that's when they're feeding. But a muskie has nothing to do. It's freshwater. There is no tide. So what's making him want to feed them? Yeah. That overhead moon is triggering him to want to feed them. So it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff. It, the way I have always looked at it, if you are skeptical, which I'm obviously not skeptical, but if you are skeptical, somebody that's listening, you, you're talking about a night is 19 bucks. Is that, is that what it is? The app or 20, how, how much is it? It depends if you get the dial or the app, but yeah, I mean, it's the least expensive product you're going to buy all year and probably the most valuable information you could have. That's what I was going to say. You, yeah. you, 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 a $20 purchase or 25, whatever it is. And, and you have an app you have, or, or you get the data wheel and it's worth going back and looking at daylight trail camera pictures and, and spinning the wheel or, you, you know, we've done thousands of those yeah. thousands and thousands. And I tell you, if a guy is still skeptical about it, we created a fur free version of the moon guide. So you can download the app and look at all the historical data. And that's really when people have their light bulb moment. When they look at historical data, they compare when they've killed their big deer or when they finally got that daylight picture of a big buck they've been chasing for forever and a day and compare those pictures and those kill dates with the red moon, that's the light bulb moment when guys like, man, there's something to this because nine times out of 10, you know, their big deer that they've killed or finally got a you know daylight picture of that big buck lines up on the red moon. And man, when guys see that, it's, yeah, it's a light bulb moment for a lot of guys. All right, walk us through what you've got coming. Tell us about the app. Um, so guys that don't know, that aren't familiar, the original moon guide was a data wheel that you would you would spin um, and it would you would turn it to the day. Like if, if you wanted to see what was going to be going on in November of this coming hunting season, you would spin it to November 5th or you could go all the way through and it, it would tell you the days of the red moons and the best hunt times. Yep. Um, that that's still available, correct? Yep, the dial's still available. It only gives you six months of information, August through January. And, and, and the then, app, way the app works is you can get not only 12 months of information, but it's zip code specific. So you can punch in your favorite locations, hunting locations with the zip code and get, you know, um, more accurate information by zip code. Because when we did the dial, um, you know, this, we had to go by the central point in the United States. Um, it's uh, Columbia, Missouri, actually, is the geographical, you know, center or midline in the United States. So everything's based on that area. So you've got to adjust the dial, you know, if, you, if you're in a different time zone. But, I mean, the, the red moon days are still the same. Tell us. Tell us, Adam, about the. Uh, we talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago. You're you're maybe redoing the book or, or going to put the book back out there, and then is, I hope that wasn't a secret. And you're, you're uh, tell us about the app because there's more than just the there's more than just the uh, moon information on your app, right? You're getting more value than just that. Yep. So as far as the book goes, you know, Jeff Root wrote the book Moonstruck back in the day. 
And it's still, I still go back and read some of it. I was just reading part of it the other day. One of the best publications ever on not just understanding the moon and the moon's influence on deer, but um, some great tactics in there that have been staples in, in my whole you know deal for over 20 years. Some great stuff in there by Miles Keller and some other people, but just if you haven't read it, it's a really good read. It's been available in an ebook, but we're reprinting the book this year because a lot of guys have been asking for it forever and a day. And then I'm just about finished with um, Moonstruck Volume 2, kind of some more advanced tactics and stuff that I've done over the years and some, you know, some stuff related to the moon as well. So that's all going to be available here this year. And then as far as the app goes, yeah, we've got all the moon guide data, which I said, you know, you can go back as far as you want historically. If you want to compare dates and times to your deer that you've killed or pictures that you've gotten historically, um, you can see all this year's information, all 12 months. And it actually goes into next year as well, because at the end of the year, guys want to be able to plan their vacation. So you can see all that information. We're upgrading um, the mapping this year to Google Maps. So have about the most up-to-date, accurate mapping available. Um, there's a bunch of great discounts on some great products like Osseo gear. Oh, yeah, I love it. We actually had our first annual Moon Guide Big Buck contest this past year where we gave away over $20,000 in cash and prizes for our Big Buck contest and had some giant deer killed. I think there was, um, well, there was... Two, two of the four categories, the bucks and one were over 200 inches. Wow. So, yep, some really, really cool stuff in the app. So in the app on the mapping feature, I mean, that's, that's something where you can, you can put waypoints in and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not a mapping app per se, but I mean, anything that you want to do, if you want to look up landowner information, uh, parcel lines, if you want to map out your food plots, see how big of an area you have got to, you know, plant or buy seed for, if you want to mark trails, rubs, I mean, you can do, um, you know, just about anything you really need to do as far as, you know, plotting, you know, stuff on the maps. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not a mapping app, but it's got everything a guy would need for mapping. And then weather, don't you have some weather features in yep. there? Yeah, there is weather. There's, uh, some really good weather information. It's just as good as, you know, any other weather app out there. So wind direction, bar barometric pressure, the whole front yeah. um, extended forecast, forecast, mapping, satellite radar. It's got everything you need. I mean, that was kind of the goal was to have <clears throat> everything that I personally wanted in an app, you know, so I'm not going to a different app for my mapping, going to a different app for weather. Everything that a guy needs is really all there. All right, guys. Part three with Adam Hayes. Uh, this is unfortunately going to have to be a short one. Hayes has got to go pick up his truck. So, uh, if y'all get mad about it being a 30, 35 minute episode, you're going to, you know who to get mad at. All right. So for this episode, we, we kind of teed it up on the last one. We we're going to get Adam to walk us through some of his challenging hunts, um, and what he did, how he put the puzzle together. 
Uh, we, you guys, you don't want to hear me talk. We got Adam on right now. So Adam, take it away. I think you were going to start with the buck you killed this year while it's fresh in your mind. Kind of take us on that journey, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, like I said earlier, I think in part one, man, this past season was probably one of my toughest seasons ever. Just couldn't catch a break with anything, you know, strategic nightmare, you know, just nothing was going right. You know, it was on a, um, had big plans for Ohio, Kansas, and Illinois. I was on a giant deer in in Illinois, um, 180 plus 190 inch eight point with a big drop. I mean, just an amazing looking animal. Passed that deer up numerous times last year because I could tell he had a bunch of potential and was was really young. And he made a huge jump last summer. We had a ton of trail camera pictures and video of that buck um, coming into the plot, you know, just clockwork. And um, plan was to be over there for the opener. And I was over there for the opener and actually had that deer come out just after camera light first week of season and he was like, he was in range, you know, 50 yards, but just no camera light. I just shut the camera off. So let him walk and um, hunted hard for that week and never crossed paths with him again. And that deer just absolutely vanished. You know, we know all the neighbors over there. We would have known if somebody hit that deer. You know, I, I backed out and went way out of my way that night after dark to make sure I didn't bump him. And we just have no clue what happened to that buck. And, you know, I've been waiting to get a crack at that deer all year and wasn't sure, you know, what I was going to do. Kind of things kind of fell through in Kansas on the deer that I was after back there. Deer I was after here at home ended up getting poached that I found out about. And, you know, I really, end of October, I was not sure what I was going to be doing and was over in Illinois um, running cameras before I left and happened to check a farm uh, on my way out of town and got a picture of a buck that I knew of. You know, he'd been in the area for a couple of years, I think three years actually that we knew of because we had a shed off that buck and a lot of trail camera pictures and it was just, it was a buck that just showed up very, very rarely. We knew he wasn't living on the farm. Um, had a general idea where he was coming from. Um, actually, two farms over. And I think the issue was, you know, he had to cross the farm next to us, obviously, to get to us. And there was a lot of tree stands between me and where the deer was coming from. Because <laughs> like I said, we're surrounded by outfitters and a lot of out-of-state guys and, you know, guys, uh, neighboring farm knew about that deer. So, I mean, that that deer just was hardly ever getting to us in the light of day. And I'd pretty much wrote him off, but he showed up right on the red moon, of all things, actually, um, there the uh, mid-October we ended up getting, I think, one daylight picture of him during the red moon um, in October. Um, big deer. I wasn't sure exactly how big, but he was big, big enough that kind of changed gears and was going to focus on that deer specifically. 
Um, spent a lot of the rut in November over there. Um, never laid eyes on him. We got one daylight picture in November, right on the red moon again. And starting thinking in the back of my head, this might be, you know, a pattern developing with this deer. Um, he disappeared again uh, pretty much all of December. We'd catch, you know, get pictures of him occasionally. But, I mean, you know, they got two different gun seasons over there in Illinois during December. And um, just nothing, you know, nothing going on in December. But towards the end of December and end of January, he was starting to show up a little more consistently. But everything was still, you know, at night. And I was just kind of thinking in the back of my head, you know, if this buck's going to show back up, I'm betting that it's going to be on the last red moon of the season, which was the second week of January. And um, I knew a lot of, a lot of things had to happen. Like I said, he wasn't living on the farm. You know, he'd show up once in daylight and be gone for 30 days. So it was kind of a shot in the dark, but you know, we had, we, had a little bit of inventory, you know, kind of had a direction, line of travel where he was coming from. I knew what uh, wind I needed to be blowing back in that direction where he was coming from, which was a northwest wind. Like I said, we had a red moon coming up <clears throat> um, that second week of January, which was the last week of season in Illinois. And I had planned on being at the uh, archery trade show that week and actually skipped it to go over there to hunt this deer. Yeah, you were supposed to meet me there. I remember. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> you know how you rank. Yeah. Below a 180. I yeah. hope I always will. <laughs> so yeah, I I wanted to go over a little earlier. You know, I didn't want to put it off till, you know, the last two or three days of season, but the weather just wasn't cooperating. I think we had a bunch of thunderstorms that week, rain. Just, you know, wild weather for January. And um, I wasn't getting that northwest wind, you know, until the end of the week, which, you know, late season is is kind of like early season in the fact that um, they're on a strict feeding pattern. And you're probably going to get one crack, and then that's amplified late season because they've been hunted for three or four months and – you know, you're not going to get away with making any mistakes late season. You're going to get one crack and that's it. And the, 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 the thing I had in the back of my mind was going into this farm. The problem was going to be getting out. If I didn't kill him, getting out of there without spooking all the deer and possibly even him and never getting another crack at him. So I really wanted to stack the deck in my favor and make sure when I went in, I had the best wind. I had the red moon. I had a good weather pattern. And really, I had to make sure that I got it done the first time that I went in. And that was going to be 13th of January with two days of season left. You know, I think most guys probably would have made a mistake and gone in there a little bit earlier than that, running out of time, you know, and kind of panicking. You know, I got to get it done. I've only got a few days left of season. But I waited until the end of the week when I had the, the wind was the big thing. I wanted that wind blowing right back into where that buck was coming from because – you know, that deer had, had been notorious for not showing up until after dark. So I wanted to make sure the wind was blowing right back in there to where he was coming from and um, actually kind of put me in an awkward position because my none of my stands were really set up 
to be able to kill him with that win. I mean, he would have picked me off in the stands that I had set up, but it, fortunately we'd put a bank spline in there on that food plot just for that scenario, which I've done at home too, where, you know, you've got certain spots where, you know, if a big buck's showing up in a certain spot and you can't get away with the wind and you need to be in there, about the only thing you can do is set up a blind, you know, one of these hard shell blinds, which, you know, we've been using banks for a long time. So we had a bank spline set up in there, went in there, uh, I actually got there the morning of the 13th, um, went in early that day. We had a, um, a food plot that that deer was hitting, and we had some standing soybeans also. And those deer what were was really planted in the What was planted in the food plot, Adam? I want to say that it was a uh, pure traction. It was a mixture of a few different things, but it had some oats and some winter greens and some different stuff in there. But the deer were kind of like, hitting that on the way to the beans gotcha. food plots of the beans and uh man <clears throat> right before you know prime time buck started funneling out he was actually the 12th buck into the field that night you know and i had never gotten pictures of that many deer in the plots in one evening but it was uh like i said it was red moon perfect wind um we had a good weather pattern. The rain had finally let up and cleared off. So I think I want to say we had a high pressure that day. So like I said, perfect storm, you know, everything lined up and that buck came out. He was the 12th buck into the field. And uh, <clears throat> I actually get, had to, had to watch that deer for probably 10 minutes before I could get a clear shot because he was either feeding facing me and I didn't have a clear shot or I had other deer between me and him. And when I finally got my opportunity, <laughs> I did everything I put, could have possibly done wrong. <laughs> I'm filming myself in the bank's blind. I got my camera on a tripod and, you know, I've got 12 bucks within 30 yards of me all directly downwind. And this blind is setting on the ground. It wasn't up elevated at all. So I know I've got all the windows closed. As soon as I cracked that window open, it's probably going to be a matter of seconds before things have figured out these deer have figured out what's going on. So I knew I was going to have to get it done quickly. I did, I did take some precautionary steps. So put a bunch of calming sent out in front of the blind from raw. And I had the ozonics going on inside the blind. So when I opened it up, I was hoping, you know, obviously that stuff's going to kill all my sin in the blind is what I'm thinking. So I'm going to get a couple extra seconds, hopefully, before something knows the game's up. So I finally get my opportunity. I go to crack the window open and I'm not looking at it and it hits the microphone on my camera and I can't get the window to go up. And as soon as it bumps the microphone, the buck standing next to the buck I'm after is like, you know, on me. He knows something's up. So I've got to lower the window, more movement, move the microphone and camera out of the way, open the window up again, get the camera back on the deer. And fortunately, the buck that saw me is moving, but the buck that I'm wanting to kill was still standing there. And you'll see it on the show this year. I can't for the life of me get my, um, my uh, release, my release clipped on my loop. Is it's getting to be, you know, low light, plus I'm in a blind, so you can't see anything when it starts getting low light. 
three or four times, I couldn't find that loop to save my life. <laughs> I finally ended up having to put my release up against the string and sliding it up the string until I could feel the loop and just said a quick prayer and opened it up and clipped it. And I was on. <laughs> and by this time that buck is, I don't, they never smelled me because they didn't run, but they knew he knew something was up because a couple of the other bucks were walking off. So he starts leaving. So I quickly got drawn back. The camera was on him and he was just about to leave frame and I let it go. And as soon as I let it go and it hit him, I'm like right through the guts, center punch the guts. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Actually went back that night and watched the footage and he was actually angling away from me a little bit more than I thought. And that arrow ended up hitting back behind the ribs, but it angled right up through everything. And even though we let him lay until noon the next day, he was dead, you know, within minutes, he didn't go a hundred yards into the woods. But um, you talk about a testament for the moon guide. I mean, here's a, a mature buck, 180-inch deer that was not living on the farm, had two daylight pictures of that buck all year long. Now, we had multiple pictures of this deer, but the only time he showed up in daylight was right there at the red noon. Um, you know, two minutes left in the game, you know, January 13th. Yep. Everything finally came together on the red moon and it just, yeah, saved my season. You know, went from just a, a shit show to yeah shooting a giant at the last minute. And I'll tell you, there was a few times when I was ready to throw in the towel, I was so frustrated, but just kept after it. And I just kept thinking in the back of my mind, man, with that deer showing up on the red moon, uh, once in October, once in November, December was kind of a wash with all the pressure from gun season. But I just had a feeling that red moon in January was going to be the ticket and everything else lined up. You know, it wasn't just the moon. Had to, had to wait for the perfect wind and we had some better weather and we had the food there. So came together. And like I said, it really saved my season. And yeah, thank God for the moon. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and the bank's blind and everything, man. It just, yeah. the no quit attitude, staying after it. A lot of guys would have gotten frustrated and just said, you know what, we'll get after it next year and move on. And, you know, it, that seems to be pretty synonymous about guys that kill big bucks consistently is the no quit attitude until the last song has played. They're going to keep hunting, keep hunting, keep hunting. Yeah, I'll be the first to admit, I don't think I'm, you know, a great hunter, but I'm the most persistent guy you'll ever meet. <laughs> stay after it. Yeah, you got to stay after it. You can't give up. And, you know, seeing so many guys that, you know, they'll blow a shot at a deer or their deer gets killed by another hunter. And they just, man, they just, you can just see it in their eyes. They're just deflated. You know, and they've just given up. And I mean, you just never know, man. You never know that next day a deer might show up that you never seen before, biggest buck of your life, or you know, like this deer, you know, showed up and you know, he wasn't living there. I mean, the odds were stacked against me from the get-go with this deer. Yep. You know, but you just gotta take what you're given and and figure it out and don't give up. Yeah, my my thing has always been every day I don't kill one or every hour I don't kill one, I'm that much closer to killing my next one. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the way I, I deal with it. You, you know, as you well know, hunting out there at the tracks in, in Kansas, 
I mean, there's not many deer out there. You can go three or four days without seeing anything and, mm-hmm. and it can wear on you in a hurry. Yeah. And, and you just every day that you hunt, you're that much closer to killing your next. Yeah. My hat's off to you. Cause that tracks buck you killed, man. I think I hunted that deer for three years and I never saw him on the hoof. You know, he was a ghost. Yeah. It, you know, and it, I think it, a lot of it, you know, he got so old that I think he, he you know, we, I've talked about this with a couple of the guys is he just got comfortable in that area. And as you know, it, it seems like there are some deer when they get older, I don't know that they put their guard down per se, but they just, they, 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 they become easier to kill. You know, I mean, you look at L- Lee Lakoski talks about that and I know he's, he's a buddy of yours. You know, he talks about that Norris Barkley buck. You know, he was impossible to kill until he was eight and a half or nine, however old he was. And then, man, he was hitting a food plot every afternoon. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just when they get to a certain age, something changes and they become, you know, they get out of that nocturnal mess or, or moving further in daylight or whatever it is. But, yeah, I was yeah. That, that was awesome to kill that deer. Yeah, it's quite an animal. That's for sure. All right, let's go to another one, Mr. Hayes, while we got you here. Tell us another good, good, uh, a good puzzle piecing one you killed. You know, I'm going to kind of go back to what you were saying earlier about how some guys kind of struggle in November, you know, when it comes to killing big specific animals. And, you know, for a long time, I really struggled with November, you know, because you just never know what these big deer are going to be doing in November and where they're going to be and what they're going to be chasing. And, it's, you know, if, if the rut was as simple as, you know, the first week of November, they're going to be, you know, running around crazy chasing does. And the second week they're going to be locked up with a doe. And the third week they're going to be um, breeding that doe. And then the fourth week they're going to be cruising again. If it was that easy, you know, guys would kill a lot more deer in November specific deer, because you know exactly what they're going to do. But I mean, you know, depending on the weather, you know, when that stuff hits every year, it's just, it's like a crapshoot, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out when are they chasing, when are they seeking, when are they locked down, you know, when is all that stuff happening? And when you're trying to schedule, you know, one's week of vacation for your best shot in November, you know, how do you really do that? And it wasn't until I threw all that stuff out the window when it comes to trying to predict what phase of the rut they're going to be in and just strictly focused on daylight activity, you know, by the moon guide, when are deer going to be the most active? When I got my best chance of catching not only a mature buck on his feet, but the does too, because in November, it's all about the does, you know, when are the does going to be most active and paying attention to those peak activity times in November, it's a little different than early and late season because Deer could be moving any time of the day. You know, it's not your typical morning and evening hunts. And there's days in November where you might not want to be actually hunting your typical morning and evening spot. You might want to be sitting all day. If the moon is peaking midday, you need to adjust accordingly and maybe go in in the morning and hunt until two or three o'clock in the afternoon. But, you know, you got to adjust your location and where do you need to be, you know, for an all day sit, or if that moon's peaking in the middle of the day, you don't want to be out on the edge of the food sources. 
you want to be back in the cover around those bedding areas. And I've found that in the last 10 years, you know, I shot, I think, three booners in three or four years out there in November, focusing on those peak activity times. And I'm really not much of a morning guy at all, you know, early and late season. But in November, it's all about time in the stand. And I've seen those big mature bucks seem to be the most active when you catch those peak activity times late morning. You know, if it's daylight at seven o'clock in the morning, anytime that moon's going to hit between daylight and maybe 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, it seems like that's when you can really catch those big ones making that final, you know, movement or following that last doe into his bedding area. And I shot, you know, we were talking about the the gay 80 earlier, the <laughs> two booners that I killed on that farm were both shot late morning, you know, on an overhead moon, anywhere from nine to 11, you know, following does, you know, these, those bucks were um, locked on a doe. They weren't breeding yet, obviously early November, but they were locked on a doe following them and making mistakes late morning. And um, I've just found that to be, you know, best case scenario is, Quit trying to figure out what phase of the rut is and key on peak activity. Deer have got to be moving during daylight for you to kill them. And when is that peak activity time going to hit during the daylight and adjusting accordingly, you know, for midday activity, being back in your bedding areas, being in those areas, those connecting areas, those funnels that connect bedding areas, you know, how's a big buck going to check this doe group? And then how's he going to get to that next doe group to check them? Or if he is locked on a doe, you know, what um, funnels are they going to use to get into those areas? And you know, killed some really big deer out, out of state during November following that tactic. And it's not, you know, Bobby Worthy talks about, like you said, he talks about hunting those pinch points and funnels and sitting there and just, you know, grinding it out to that big deer shows up. And, you know, in November, that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Tell us about that giant eight or nine point. I can't yeah, remember. Giant eight point that um, we had some history with. Um, a couple guys hunted that deer before I got there and had some encounters with him, but nobody was able to, you know, get an arrow in him. Um, I had actually seen that buck the uh, the night before on the opposite end of the farm. He was up on the top of the farm moving, and I didn't have a stand location up on that top section of the farm. So my plan was going to be to slide into my, my morning spot the next morning and just trying to get an eyeball of, of where he was at and, you know, where he came back into bed and then make an adjustment for that, for that next evening. And we had a uh, red moon, you know, overhead moon a couple hours after daylight. And I want to say it was like within three or four minutes of that red moon he come in behind me following a doe and man, I I'll never forget that sight. If I lived to be a hundred, I'd, I heard something behind me. It was getting to be that point in the morning where you're pretty sure everything's probably bedded down for the day. Yeah. When it's like 10 or 10 30, heard something. I turned around and saw a big mature doe coming down the trail, right, right towards me. And man, that, that giant tall rack coming right behind her. Just oh. to, sight I will never forget and um that doe actually come through she jumped the fence 
Were you on that creek? On that creek where you come in right oh, off the road? I was halfway up the farm. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, low creek, and then there was a big bench midway yep. up the farm, and then it went even higher from there. There was like three sections to that farm, and I was right in the middle. You know, there was one big, big tree that you could get in that uh, kind of overlooked the whole farm. You could see high and low, and she was coming up that main trail. She jumped the fence, came right under my tree. I mean, I could have spit on her and thought he was going to do the exact same thing. And he got to that fence crossing and for some reason he didn't follow her and he kind of did a loop around and I thought he was going to get past me. And I had, I had an opening like that to thread the needle and ended up making that perfect shot on him and watched him run over that hill and die. And it was, yeah. Like I said, I'll never forget seeing that deer coming through the woods, man. All right. I know you got to go get your truck, but we got time for one more. So you got one more in your head that you can walk us through. That was a lot of strategy you had. Maybe one of your two hundreds. I don't remember if we really talked about my my first one, did we? Nope. Nope. We hadn't talked about that one. Very first one. Yeah, that was um that was like a three year quest for that deer. I um I wasn't really chasing two hundred inch deer. I think I killed that deer in ninety nine. He just happened to be that big when I finally killed him after three seasons of chasing him. It was one of those deals where, you know, I'd known about the buck. He'd been in the area a few years. I I was pretty sure I found his core area. You know, it was in this corner of the CRP field that I found in February or March that was just littered with big rubs. And it was... Um, kind of set up on this bend in this creek and there was a creek wooded creek that ran the length of this crp field and he was just bedded in that crp with the creek at his back and i had gone in early season or early in the year and saw his old rub lines and scrape lines and all that and kind of figured you know if he was using that what kind of wind direction would he need um to come out into the you know into the field and what it was, was he was kind of <clears throat> coming out of that CRP into the creek and then following the woods, which with a, with a north-northwest wind, he could scent check that whole field. And then I could see where, you know, the rub stopped, where he was kind of turning and coming out into the field. And that was really what I thought was his weak spot was because, you know, he's basically coming through that creek with the wind in his face and then where he turns – and that's normal where you find those weak spots is in a turn in the buck's travel pattern where you can get within bow range while he's using the wind to his advantage. So I was just off of that and set a stand early there. And the problem was, you know, with the northwest wind blowing into there, if I walked the way I normally would have to access that stand, my scent would have been blowing back into that bedding area. So I made a big loop around to the opposite end of the farm and I gave up the far end of that bedding area because my scent was blowing back into that bedding area. I gave up the far half of it so that I could get to that spot and not, you know, tip him off sure. coming yep. up from the other direction. And I got set up that night, <clears throat> like I said, winds coming from the field back in there. Um, I love being set up, like I said, close to a bedding area, but not so close that you tip them off. Obviously, you don't want to bust them out of their bed. So I want to say I was within 150 yards of this bedding area where my stand was. 
and I had a big scrape right at the uh, base of my tree. So right about sunset, and if I'm going to do some rattling, I like to rattle before I think bucks are up moving already. Because I think you got a better chance of getting a deer to respond to your calling before he's already up and moving in a different direction. So I like to call to a buck that I think is just still in his bed. So he might not respond immediately, but at least when he's laying there, it gives him an idea that something's in his territory and he's more apt to get up and come your way than trying to get him to turn if he's already heading in a different direction. So I did some light rattling about sunset. Didn't hear anything for a few minutes. Another real light set. And when I rattle, all I want to do, and it, you know, it it doesn't, um, it doesn't want, I don't want to mimic two bucks trying to kill themselves. All I want to do is let him know that there's something there. Yeah. Like a couple immature bucks just, you know, feeling each other out. He knows there's other deer there. He knows it's safe. And pretty soon I heard splash, splash, heard something cross the creek. And then I heard something else cross the creek down towards where that bedding area was. And I see this young buck trotting up the trail. He comes in, hits the scrape right underneath me, and I turn. You never forget the first 200-inch deer you see in the wild. It was just <laughs> an unbelievable sight. And he comes walking down that trail, and he gets to that scrape underneath me, and he, you know, pushes that young buck out of there. And, man, it just – it didn't even look real. It was so big, you know, the biggest character seen at that point. <clears throat> I don't even know how I got drawn back on that buck. I was shaking so bad, but I got an arrow in him. Um, it was a little far back and he jumped in the Creek and started walking down the Creek. And this Creek went for, I don't even know how far that Creek would have went, but I'm thinking to myself, I may never find that buck if he stays in that Creek. And I still had plenty of plenty of daylight. So I give him about 20 minutes. Probably should have never done it, but I got down and I got in that creek and I just knocked an arrow and started walking down through there real slow. I got probably got 80 to 100 yards down the creek and I come to a bend in the creek and I can see just around the bend, I can see antlers sticking up. Oh my like gosh. Bedded in the creek. So I went around that bend real slow and I see him as soon as I saw him, he saw me and he stood up and turned my direction and started walking towards me. And I'm thinking <laughs> this deer is coming after me. <laughs> he took three or four steps towards me and then he kind of stumbled and went down. He couldn't make it any further. So I was able to walk up on him and, you know, put another arrow in him and put him out of his, his misery. And just, yeah, I'll never forget that hunt. I mean, you talk about, <laughs> You talk about an exciting deal, just killing a deer of that caliber after hunting him for a few years. And then that whole, whole ordeal in the creek and being that close to him and having him get up like that. I mean, just that's just amazing. Epic deal. If I could have had that on video. Oh, my gosh. Now, where where you, you knew where he was bedded, you knew kind of how he was moving through there. What was he going to? Was he going to like big cropland or, or big ag or, or food plot or what was he going to? So there was a CRP field and then a really thin timbered creek and then a soybean field. Okay. He was coming out into the soybeans. So the classic food to bed, food yep. or bed to food, bed to food. After I wanted, I wanted to dive in there so bad when season opened. And that was the year I was really talking to Jeff about the moon guide. And he's like, 
you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You got to go in there the first night and kill him the first night in because it's so tight in there. I would have never got in there and not killed him and got out without that deer knowing I was there. Mm-hmm. Like you got to stay out of there, stay out of there until the red moon, stay out of there until you got a good wind blowing back in there. So, you know, he's going to get up early and move. And um, yeah, just put everything together and kill the biggest buck of my life. And that's really where the whole thing started with following the red moon and listening to Jeff and man, can't thank him enough for what he taught me early on like that. So I know we just got a couple more minutes. Um, Moonstruck two. This is one that you've written, right? This is a book that you've written from cover to cover. Um, you want to tease anything up about that? When's it going to be ready? Hoping to have it uh, available this fall. We're going to have moon, the original Moonstruck available in a couple months, um, probably July or August. And then hopefully this fall, mine uh, volume two will be out. So it'll be either this fall or early next year. And gotcha. it's really just taking things to that next step. You know, Jeff kind of lays the groundwork for the moon and hunting big deer. And this is kind of, you know, the advanced tactics taking it the next step, you know, everything from, you know, the red moon to scouting, you know, the stories of most of my bigger deer and um, how they were killed and how I've kind of taken what I've learned from him and, you know, developed my own system over the last 25 years, just like Bobby has, just like you have, you know, you find things that work and through trial and error, you fine tune those things to where it's, you know, that's your system. Yeah. That's really what this book is. It's just my system and what's worked for me. And I think a lot of, a lot of guys take the time to read it. They might pick up on that one thing that might make the difference for them. And and that's it, man, is, you know, we, we talked about this in episode one of this three-part series is checking your ego. And I, I mean, I, I, I had Bobby Worthington come look at a property that I have access to hunt just to see how he does things. You and I, you know, b- before the Columbus show, we walked that lease together. We talked about where the food was going to be, where you had your stands, where we might could put a new stand, where we could move the food to, to see how you did it, to see how I would do it. Higgins talks about it, you know, guys that he he talks to, you know, because he goes on all these consulting visits and he picks up things. You know, his, his rope scrape thing, and one example is, you know, he's got that one-inch rope, well, he goes to a client's uh, house, and the guy's got like a four-inch circumference um, hemp rope that he. And the guy says, "Well, big deer like to rub big things, and every big buck on this property hits this rope." And so Higgins is going to start putting in four-inch, <laughs> four-inch thick rope. So it's you constantly winning. Or you learning. can never stop learning, man. It's an yeah. endless pursuit for the knowledge. That's it. Is is the you know, get out there and get as much experience as you can yourself and surround yourself with people that want to do the same thing you do and are really successful at it. Absolutely. T- tell everybody uh, how, how they find you, how they find the moon guide um, real quick, and we'll sign <clears throat> off. Moonguide.com. You can email me at info at moonguide.com. And then Adam Hayes on Instagram and, and Facebook, right? Yep. That's it, guys. All right. Thanks so much, buddy. Go get your truck, and we'll talk soon. All right, guys. Thanks. All right, buddy. We'll see you.